2: The shooting, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem.
1: I speak tonight for the dignity of man. What
0: is the vision that the founders of this nation created? What is the status of that now? There's a lot of talk about getting back to the roots, sticking with the Constitution and a new conservatism Well, I'm very pleased to have Brian Kahn, author of a new book called Real Common Sense. Now, Common Sense has been uh, tossed around quite a bit. The title, uh, uh, what's his name, that uh, comedian Glenn Beck has talked about. Uh, He has a book called Common Sense, amazingly enough, and uh, the extreme right is claiming that the Founding Fathers were their allies for their radical right-wing agenda. Our our guest today, Brian Kahn, uh, wants America to rediscover its noble roots. His new book, Real Common Sense, using our founding values to reclaim our nation and stop the radical right from hijacking America, uh, has just come out and— uh, I'm very pleased to have with us uh, Brian Kahn, all the way from, uh, where are you? In Montana, way out in Montana, in the wilds of Montana. He hosts an award winning program on the radio there called Home Ground. He's been published in the LA Times, The Nation, and Field of Stream, Field and Stream of All Things. Brian, thanks for being with us. What was your purpose in writing this new book, Real Common Sense?
2: Well, you kind of touched on it, Bert. First, I want to thank you for having me on the show. Uh, I think that people are proud in this country, like every place in the world, of their heritage. But in our case, we've forgotten really a lot about it, uh, much to our detriment. And I think that's created a situation where what I call a radical or reactionary right, these people are not conservatives in my opinion, uh, really have h- tried to steal that heritage and it gives them some credibility to make the claim. I don't believe the claim has substance on examination. My point was to reclaim that heritage for the progressive tradition of America. We have a dual history. I'm sure we'll talk about it on your show. But the part of that history that we're most proud of as Americans across a very broad spectrum are the actions we've taken over time to fulfill the promise of the Declaration of Independence which begins not, in the first paragraph, it begins with the phrase, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, that statement was a radical, egalitarian statement for its time. And there were a lot of divisions among the founders, as you well know. I just was listening to your show with Bill Hoagland, but the truth of the matter is that at critical points in our history, we have tried as a, as a community of citizens to fulfill that vision. And that's the, that's the vision that gives people pride, including uh, coming across the whole United States. I've talked about this issue to a wide range of audiences. So the purpose of the book was to remind us of that heritage and to challenge us to move it forward.
0: Well, we certainly do have our challenges right now with the, the right wing uh, trying to claim the mantle of uh, of freedom and the Constitution and our founders. And the founders, a fascinating group of people, all, of course, white men with property. Uh, You know, that's that's the reality. And there was a lot of disagreement, actually, uh, among the founders, the people at the Constitutional uh, Convention, people who... Some people were very much in favor of democracy. Some kind of feared democracy. The the uh, upper class, and I wonder, uh, Brian, if if it's your sense that the uh, oh the Tea Party people, which has largely taken over the uh, Republican Party, have been leaning toward that faction of our founders that feared democracy, feared feared uh, uh, the uh, participation and the power of the public, while. Successfully amazingly enough, claiming to be uh for democracy and, and manipulating that where do the where does the tea party come down? I know they 're divided amongst themselves, but where do they come down when it comes to uh, the 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 founding principle of democracy, government of by and for the people, and you actually said something about uh, uh community, freedom, and community, our sense of uh a community of citizens, I, thought, I think that was your phrase.
2: You, you, you go to the heart of the question. Let's just start with the Tea Party, and I think, as you pointed out, there's division among the Tea Party. I call them the Tea Parties. What you see on national media, uh, what you see at the top levels organizing Tea Party sentiments, and then there's sort of a grassroots movement in different states with different emphasis. Out here in Montana... I would say there's a strong strain of libertarianism and fear of centralized government taking away rights that people feel are enshrined in the, in the Bill of Rights, the First and yeah. amendments to the Constitution. Mm-hmm. But there's another element of the Tea Party, if you look at it carefully, that is, and I think it comes up higher up the food chain, uh, which is a corporate libertarianism. And under the guise of individual liberty, which obviously was very important to to the founders, and when we speak of the founders, I mean I'm speaking of the the, the folks who both, both uh, appeared at the Constitutional Convention and worked it through, which was about 55 people, uh, and then the ratification process subsequently of the Bill of Rights, which occurred after the states had ratified the Constitution. So, what these guys are trying to do is say because people believed in freedom. Therefore, corporations and business should have total freedom, and government should not interfere in any respect with business. Let me just read you something mm-hmm. from the Tea Party Patriots website, Core Values 2010. The founders believed that personal and economic freedom were indivisible, as do we. Our current government's interference distorts the free market and inhibits the pursuit of individual and economic liberty. Therefore, we support a return to the free market principles on which the nation was founded and oppose government interventions into the operation of private business. Now, There are a couple of problems with that. First of all, their history is false. There is, and I've, I'm not a historian, but I've read a fair amount about the founders. There was, there's nothing in the founding documents that, allow that that says that business or property have absolute rights. Jefferson, who was the, clearly the most strong and articulate, I would say, advocate for natural rights, mm-hmm. said, A man has no natural rights that conflict with his social duties. And there's all sorts of discussion. Washington said at one point, after the Constitutional Convention, the Constitution can only lay the foundation. The community at large must build the edifice. All of those concepts related to citizens in community not private interests above the interests of community. And so there's a tension in that between freedom and ordered liberty from the structure of the con- from the structure of the constitution our election system to the rule of law and then the protection of minorities from majority abuse which you talked about one of the reasons that many of the founders feared direct democracy was that people the majority would dictate to the minority and so that's what some of the bill of rights are about to constrain the ability of the national government to impose limitations but the bottom line here is within I think the Tea Party structure there's a uh, I would say it's a hidden agenda and it is not commonly understood the corporate libertarianism get government out of the business of regulating corporate, uh, to the corporate structure to protect the health safety and welfare of the people that power of the federal government comes directly from the preamble to the Constitution which is worth reading again and again over, you know, I'd say people ought to read it probably once every six months to remind ourselves of what Mm. you guys talked about, the purpose of government. And I'll just read it. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty, to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Now, that's a very ambitious charge. George Washington yeah. was sitting in the seat when that was proposed and adopted. This is not happenstance. And what I think the radical right wants to do is get government completely out of any role regulating business. I don't know that that's shared at the local level by Tea Party folks.
0: Well, it is. There's the, the power behind the Tea Party, too, and it, it seems that, that they, the, the powers, the uh, the Koch brothers, the Americans for Prosperity, have been very, very good, I have to give them credit, at, at tapping into a uniquely American spirit that we kind of fear bigness, the centralization and concentration yep. of power. And they're it seems to me remarkably effective at at, at twisting that around. I I would think that the vast majority of people who are drawn to the Tea Party, Tea Parties, uh, are, you know, patriotic Americans who are not exceptionally wealthy or not power hungry like the Koch brothers clearly are and, and incredibly greedy, but who just want to... Take power back. There, there's a great fear. They've manipulated fear. Uh, certainly, the second Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, talked about the power of fear. Well, they've they've recognized the power of fear, and they they, I think, tap into the uh, the fear of concentrated uh, government. I wonder how people who are not on the right, who are genuine conservatives who believe in the principles of the Constitution, as I do, and I'm sure you do, and all Americans really do, I wonder have we gone too far to get that back? Does the the far right own now the uh, the founding father's principles, the Tom Paine, the common sense that, that uh, Glenn Beck has, has tried to claim? Or is there are people on the more traditional left getting this at all? Are they getting how the concentration and centralization of power and authority really does bother people and should say something about it? Or is the left kind of missing out on that?
2: Well, I think the progressive liberal coalition has really missed the boat on this question. And it's fundamental. We've had 30 years of of great messaging, if you want to look at it for strictly from an advertising standpoint, of political propaganda or a political line, from the hard right, beginning with Reagan's inauguration. I use that as a watershed, but I mean it's because he was elected president of the United States on this sort of message. And what he said in, the, in his inaugural was, in the present crisis, government is not the solution. Government is the problem. Yes. And so you've had a concerted effort in various forms, but with a consistent message. Government interferes with the entrepreneurial class. It interferes with generation of jobs. It's uh, basically a parasitical function in American society. Uh, that has resonated over time because over this, over the time that the that that line has been taken, roughly thirty years now, a little more than thirty years. What's happened in the, to the middle class and working class and lower economic class mm-hmm. Americans? Roughly this. Yeah. The gross domestic product in the United States has gone from $5 trillion to $14 trillion, an increase of almost 300%, 280%. Mm-hmm. Non-worker farm productivity has increased 88%. Okay? If you made a $1 million in 1980, you make $3 million now. If you're a median wage worker, a male worker, you make less money now than you did in 1980 in real dollars, and you work 100 hours more mm-hmm. per year we've had thirty million jobs lost to corporate downsizing thirty million jobs during that period actually a little less Uh, than that full period
0: ten percent of the We
2: have fifteen million unemployed and and another fifteen million underemployed and who quit looking for work now the people are frustrated and angry government has clearly not played a constructive role during this period of time in addressing this massive shift of wealth up and since it isn't really discussed in the media People are looking for an answer, and the right has given them, in my view, a false answer, but a convincing answer, an answer that goes on bumper stickers. Too much government. Runaway government. Okay? Mm -hmm. And that is a very effective line, and it taps into what you've said. i would added the word anger to fear. The fear part, I mean, when you say runaway government, it's really, ask people, where? What are you talking about? What specifically is the problem? The fear part, I think, comes more from the bogeyman of socialism, of all things. If you read Glenn Beck, if you listen to oh, these sure. Fox News, fanning the fear of a system that collapsed 20 years ago in terms of Marxian socialism, which was an international phenomenon, would be considered a joke by any rational person. Uh, that That argument ended with the collapse of the Soviet bloc and the conversion of China to the... World's second largest capitalist economy, run by a quote unquote communist party dictatorship. Uh, we're in a capitalist global system. The fact that we're not discussing the question of how can global capitalism, multi uh, corporate global capitalism, multinational, uh, meet human needs is a testimony to two things. One, the effectiveness of the political propaganda from the right, mm-hmm. and two, the total failure of the liberal left, progressive, whatever you want to call it, uh, economic justice coalition to make its case.
0: We are talking on the Burt Cohen Show with author Brian Kahn, whose new book is Real Common Sense, using our founding values to reclaim our nation and stop the radical right from hijacking America. Very difficult uh, to do. I, I wonder why the traditional you know, Democrats, the labor coalition hasn't tapped into this and somehow has allowed the discussion to be dominated by this right-wing talk and not talked about uh you know how government can be made to serve the people and uh i, I just i'm not quite sure how we haven't done it. is it because we're so deathly afraid of the term socialism i mean you look at uh things that Franklin Roosevelt did, and I would imagine that the current uh, hard right, the, the Tea Parties, would would say, oh, yes, he was a socialist, that Franklin Delano Roosevelt was a socialist. Well, the They two were- said
2: so at the time.
0: They did. The American
2: people completely rejected that. If you look at what happened in the New Deal, yeah. you had a federal establishment of minimum wage, yep. the establishment of Social Security, yep. the 40-hour work week, Amazing. regulation of banks and stock markets to protect investors, the GI Bill, oh, yeah? uh, which came out during the Second World War, all, with, with the exception of the GI Bill, of, of maybe. Everything else was claimed to be socialist at the time by the hard right in America. It's an old, old song. Now, at that time, keep in mind, there was, in fact, a socialist and communist movement in the United States, fanned by the the, uh, the anger and uh, deprivation and mass poverty of the Depression. Absolutely, was a major force in American politics, yep. eliminated in the nineteen fifties during the Cold War. Yeah. So at least then the right could claim, even though it wasn't socialism in the sense of how Karl Marx defined socialism, these were socialist programs. They were to redistribute wealth and opportunity more broadly in the society that's a, one of the goals of socialism but socialism if you look it up in the dictionary is public ownership of land and major production capacity including utilities rail factories you name it and then administrated by the state that's socialism to call what we have now like Obama health care which is the Michelle Bachman says it's the crown jewel of, of Barack Obama's socialist agenda Right. 92% of the Tea Party, according to a New York Times poll, believes that Obama's moving the country towards socialism. About 65% of Republicans. <laughs> now, you have to ask yourself, what are we talking about? The medical reform, as the hallmark uh, example cited, yeah. is not single payer, is not public insurance, it's private insurance, private doctors with no regulation of the pharmaceutical industry. All that's private. Now, how the hell that socialism beats me? But the left, you asked a critical question. How did we miss the boat, or how did the unions miss the boat, and the Democratic Party? I would say they're different answers to the question. Unions, in the 50s, they represented 36% of the American workforce. Now. It is now 12%, Oof. with only 7% of workers unionized in the private sector. Wow. They've lost ground, in my view, because of global global corporate, let's put it, I can't, i got to articulate that a little better, the corporatization of global rules of trade.
1: Yes. Number
2: one, the ability to offshore jobs. Uh, uh, we yeah. lost in the last decade five and a half million jobs. So they've been in a very defensive position, yeah. and I think they lost their, and to some extent, broad social conscience. The Democratic Party has become dependent on Big money contributions. Bill Clinton yeah. uh, personified that shift. They appeal to the same interests, the corporate interests that profit from laissez-faire economics. They're not going to bite the hand that feeds them. Right. Mass media is con- it's a corporate entity. I'm not. You could say that's good, that's bad. That's just a fact. So you're not going to see these issues highlighted with any substance by mainstream corporatized media. Um, that's the story. And it's a tough, it's a tough to turn it around, but we have no choice. If we don't turn it around, the short-term uh, greed of the uh, corporate economy is going to ruin this country. I think that's what we've got to face up to.
0: That has absolutely been happening. We've seen a part of the destruction of the labor unions has been the race to the bottom where all the corporations care about is maximizing profit. And, uh, you know, the bottom line and, of course, paying people less they can do in lots of other countries and not having any regulations or environmental standards is is very attractive. They're not going to save us the corporations. It's surprising to me how much the uh, working people, the former middle class that are drawn to the Tea Party buy into the the hope that. The corporations just left to their own will save us, and will and will make the economy better. And the reality has been that uh, that, that uh, government has been necessary. Private enterprise isn't going to build bridges. It's not going to fix roads and and build the infrastructure that corporations absolutely need to function. It's all falling apart. And I, I find it interesting the you talk in your book Real Common Sense about the belief in independence, the kind of nineteenth century belief that was very popular and remains pretty popular now. The the notion of rugged individualism. We are not connected to one another. We're all on our own. The idea of, of being in a community is anathema to to people who believe in independence. Uh how can we reconcile that? There's a, there's a, you know, people don't, there's a uh, kind of an embarrassment most of the time if somebody needs to get government help.
2: Uh, if Well, we've got all of these myths that we have to confront, and we don't have a lot of time to do it. The first thing to remember is the founders, I gave the Washington quote about this up to the community at large uh, to build the edifice of the Constitution rural life had many flaws to it but one that that it a strength that it had was there was no illusion about the interdependence of human beings and the necessity mm. the necessity of community to the survival of people you can go back to hunter gatherers which is 95% of our 200,000 years on the planet no one had, could have the illusion that they could survive alone. In fact, that was the, that was the punishment for being uh, violating the rules That's of the right. group. You were exiled, which meant automatic death. No one could live alone. Shunned. They knew it. What we have today is, in the last 50, 60 years, because of technology uh luxury compared to what we used to have and advertising you have to remember it's the, probably the biggest industry in America and it's done to create a consumer mindset every time we turn on the tube or the web you're surrounded by ads in the cities you're surrounded by advertising to get you to consider yourself a consumer yes a consumer is an individual that can buy anything he or she wants, as long as you got a credit card. It creates what I call in the book the illusion of independence, right. and it undermines the central principle of the founders, which was citizenship in community. And the act, the fact that this has been allowed to disappear, I think, is a fundamental issue that we have to get a handle on. Let me read you a quote from General Dwight Eisenhower, later Republican president from 1952 to 1960. Mm -hmm. He wrote this to his brother in 1943 at the height of World War II when he was supreme allied commander. It is not a political statement. It was a personal statement. We need to do a better job of teaching good old-fashioned patriotism. Just that sense of loyalty and obligation to the community that is necessary for the preservation of all the privileges and rights that the community guarantees. Now, Dwight Eisenhower was not a radical socialist. <laughs> we we have
0: I don't know. He might be considered that these days.
2: Well, he, is, uh, he certainly couldn't be nominated by the Republican Party. No. That's for darn sure in terms of running for president of the United States.
0: But at the time, he was a great general who was leading us magnificently in victory over the fascists.
2: Correct. And... He was a very interesting guy, which is another whole story. Yeah. But um, I interviewed Stephen Ambrose. Uh, I got that quote by preparing for an interview with Ambrose. That's in his Ambrose's book, Supreme Commander. Ambrose wrote a book called Undaunted Courage about Lewis and Clark, and we did two shows. And in the show about Lewis and Clark, Ambrose talked about the myth of the rugged individualist, the cowboy sort of myth mm-hmm. settling the West. In mm-hmm. his view, as a as a top historian. That mythology was created in part because of the delays in the publishing of Lewis and Clark, Lewis's journals of the Lewis and Clark expedition, which showed teamwork being central, the community of that expedition, which was a military expedition, in settling the West. And, and Ambrose said to me, Hell, the West wasn't settled by individuals, it was settled by groups of people working together in, in their, in, as a community.
0: That's a fact.
2: And, and that's a fact. We've got to remind people of these facts. I guess it boils down to this. Unless we can get back in touch with the fundamental truths of our time and our history, we're not going to make it as a, as a uh, leading nation. And when I say leading, I'm not talking about controlling other people. I'm talking about living up to our values and being successful as a civilization, an American civilization as part of the world civilization. The... the The other side, when you strip it all away, is based on disempowering government, which during the New Deal, for the first time, took a step, major steps forward, to be what Lincoln had in mind when he said government of the people, by the people, for the people, as a counterweight to concentrated private power. You mentioned the corporation and I discussed this in the book. I'm not talking about basically evil people. I think there's some psychotic people out there that I I would put Glenn Beck in that category. Oh, yeah. There are other people that are very very greedy, but I don't think it's the fundamental issue. Right. The fundamental issue is we created a corporate structure, by the way, created by government to promote the general welfare. The reason they created it was they wanted to be able to mobilize capital, private capital to build big factories, railroads, stuff that they Richest person in America couldn't do, so they gave them immunity. They gave them the structure special privileges. Investors can't be sued for misdeeds of the directors, etc. Mm-hmm. It's been phenomenally successful. It's created all sorts of things that we enjoy, but it is p- economic power cumulatively with no conscience. On your website, I was interested to come across the word conscience, and I talk about it in the book, The American Conscience. That conscience comes from that initial statement in the Declaration of Independence: "All men are created equal." And as you have pointed out, it was white men. We've, through the struggle of women and, and male allies, women finally got the right to vote in this country in 1922. Took a while. We fought a civil war to free slaves. Then they were oppressed through segregation. It took another hundred years to make basic breakthroughs of the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. The corporate structure has nothing. It's not in its charter. And Milton Friedman, the famous economist, from the University of Chicago school that has so much influence argued against giving requiring corporations to have any responsibility their sole job was to produce wealth return on investment for shareholders and that that wealth production the rising tide would lift all boats well look, we've done that for sure. 30 years and we've seen the boats haven't been lifted so it's time to evaluate what the hell to do about it in my book i discuss among other things the need for fundamental reform of corporate law by the same democratic Society that created them in the first place. If they're not working to serve our purposes, let's look at it and change the law.
0: Well, you bring up an interesting point, uh, Brian Kahn, about uh, how we can assert some control over corporations. It seems that in the past uh, 30 years or so, I mean, Reagan really made a huge, huge difference. I think the big turn happened uh, with President Reagan uh, to, to give corporations tremendous power and control how the idea of, of 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 getting corporations under control could strike many people as well wait a minute you know free, corporations are legal persons who are we the people to control them and tell them what to do isn't don't they create jobs this is the line they create jobs because of very little regulation that regulation can inhibit economic growth. And it seems like <clears throat> we, the people, have become uh, subjects to a large extent over corporate-dictated government, as you certainly uh, say uh, that it's not just the Republicans. The Democratic Party as well uh, depends on, on corporate control. They seem to be serving, both parties seem to be serving the same corporate masters i mean you know wall street was bailed out by uh, uh barack obama how, how can this is a huge challenge i think the sovereignty of the people as i believe was intended and you believe was intended i think every historian of which i am not uh r- recognizes that the intent of the founders was that that the people of the united states be sovereign and not an aristocracy. We do not have a plutocracy here. We do not, at least in theory or in intention, have an oligarchy. So Brian Kahn, how can the people reassert democracy over corporate dictated government? A little bit of a tough question there.
2: Of course, it's a profoundly difficult question, and I I think we ought to sit down and chat. We'll chat about it. I want to tell you what the goal is, though. The goal was articulated by Abraham Lincoln in eighteen fifty four. Allow all the governed an equal voice in the government, and that and that only is self government. Okay? Another Republican oh, nice. president. Now, how are we doing? That's the first question. <laughs> in the last election, the midterm elections, three point seven billion dollars was spent. That's not mom and pop money, that's big private money. The Supreme Court came out with a decision I know you're aware of and I assume most of your listeners are on a five to four decision striking mm-hmm. down key provisions of the McCain fine gold campaign finance federal legislation they now allow corporations and unions unions of course having very little influence anymore mm-hmm. to take money directly from the Treasury and run political ads yep. in, ni- in between 2009 and 2010 the coal gas and coal, excuse me, coal, oil, and utility industry spent $500 million to lobby the Congress of the United States against climate change legislation. Now, that's what we're up against, and I just want to say this to your listeners because it's sometimes useful to think of an example of that, that is understandable to people. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're in court before a judge, and you've made your case, and I'm on the other side, and I've made my case but you find out that i've given the judge a hundred thousand dollars for his election you confident you're going to get a fair verdict Mm -hmm. Hell no Mm -hmm. but that's how our political system operates politicians take these huge amounts of private money and then we expect they're going to represent our interests when we haven't you know we've given ten bucks fifty bucks or nothing to the political campaign structure politicians are in fact judges of what's in the public interest they're supposed to be judges in fact too many are bought and paid for, or rented long term. So, what do we do about it? It's a complex issue because, in fact, corporate law enables corporations, which do provide major employment in this country without yes. any question. Oh, yes, great discretion. They can offshore jobs. I mentioned, I think, that we offshored—not we, the corporate world—offshored mm-hmm. five point six million jobs in the last decade. There's a just a ruling of the National Labor Relations Board a cha- uh, uh, challenging Boeing's decision to move major production from Seattle where their operations are unionized to one of the Carolinas where there's no union and the National Labor Relations Board is taking a progressive position for the first time in a long time mm-hmm. these are now a majority of Obama appointees saying no that's retaliation for against strikes uh, and that's illegal but the problem it seems to me ultimately of what is appropriate corporate behavior and how we modify, I would say, the corporate charter to insist on they're serving the national interest if they're going to do business in the United States of America, whether they're located here or they're located abroad. I think they should be required to serve the national interest and have certain tests upon which to base the judgment whether they are or not. Um, to get that through, that has to be congressional law, and Congress is substantially controlled by this these interests, so it's not going to happen. Just like nothing else has happened in this country, unless there's a grassroots movement organized that puts enough pressure on Congress, or not enough pressure on Congress, elects the right people to the Congress of the United States. There's no quick answer to this stuff. Yeah. We have to be honest about that. But we have to get our act in order in terms of what are the values we believe in. And I believe those values can be found among the basic orientation of the founders of this country. And then we have to apply it to our present problems. And that's one of the big ones. Nobody's going to do it for us. Sure. There's no silver bullet out there, and there's no leader that's going to do it by him or herself.
0: No, no uh, uh, caudillo, as the Spanish say, uh, riding in on a you know, knight in shining armor who just, oh, yeah, he's going to fix it. it,
2: it well, that's the risk. The risk is that people will look for that to provide solutions. Yeah. In the depression, there's a very interesting book called The Age of Extremes by Eric Hobsbawm, uh, probably the most preeminent British historian, and he points out that during the depression of the countries that shifted under the pressure of this global co- economic catastrophe, two went to the left. I think one was Brazil, the other was the United States. The others who shifted went fascist. Yeah. Where you had this mythology of blood superiority, glorification of war, rejection of the Enlightenment, rejection of democracy, and people took it and and bought it. They bought it in Italy, and they bought it in Germany. And that's something we have to watch out for here, because (laughs) because fear and lack of knowledge combined are very dangerous in terms of choices that people will make under those circumstances.
0: Boy, and there's a lot of that going around. It is remarkably scary, and I don't see... Uh, very much of a counterweight. Uh, you talk about the, the power of corporations over Congress there. I think the way you described it is, uh, you know, the judges have gotten huge campaign contributions from interests that are being judged, and it's it's very, very difficult to, uh, to get a handle on. And I wonder, you know, the idea of having, uh, you know, we have been ruled by corporate capitalism, we the people, for a long time. I wonder, you know, how, could there be agreement? Could there be common ground on what those principles, those values, ought to be? Uh, that might uh, be some rules <laughs> around corporate America. You know, setting those rules. I, I think, of course, getting there in the first place, uh, given that, that that Congress and the president seem to be, you know, working for the corporate interest. But putting that aside for discussion's sake, I, I wonder if. Do you think, Brian Kahn, that there would be agreement among the founders of this nation as to what uh, uh, values uh, that the corporations ought to be held to? or is that? Sure. W-
2: I, I think so. I think there are two questions there, Bert. One is what the founders would agree, and as your show with Hoagland showed, I thought very, very well, as does uh, Howard Zinn's work. The founders that were at the Constitutional Convention were in many cases, very self-interested, diverse coalition of people looking out to protect small states or large states, yep. uh, their property values, uh, their trade interests, all, all sorts of things. But they came to an agreement on, on a fundamental structure of government, and, and uh, subsequently, not exactly the same people, Madison was probably the key to both, the Bill of Rights. I think the question is now, can founding values help guide us toward rules that corporations Need to follow, not just in America, because it's a global thing. I remember sure. that one time watching the head of at and tell Congress, "No," he said, "Congressman, you, you're not correct. We're not an American corporation. We're a global corporation with our headquarters in America." Mm-hmm. I once uh, knew Ted Turner pretty well because I worked with the Nature Conservancy in Montana and uh, did some conservation work with him. And we were driving across his ranch one day, and I said to him, "Let me ask you something, Ted. You know a lot of these top CEO guys all around the world." I have a question and the question is this. They're at the top of the economic pyramid. They want to protect that. They need stability to do that. Yes. They have instant information and tremendous political power. They're as bright as the next guy. Why don't they use their political and economic power to deal with two threats to stability? One is global poverty and two it is environmental degradation. I don't get it. It's in their own interest. Yes. Now Ted Turner's a guy that's got an instant opinion on everything <laughs> and has done a lot of good things. And it's it's the only time I remember him ever pausing. And he paused for maybe five seconds, and then he said, They don't see past their noses. They live in a world of quarterly reports. And he wasn't saying it angry, he wasn't saying it in a condemnatory manner. He was saying, That's that world. So you have to break the rules of that game if you're going to change corporate behavior. Now, part of it can be it's very interesting we tend to demonize people we disagree with i do a lot of environmental facilitation and i found demonization doesn't work to solve problems mm-hmm. over a hundred major corporations in the world i was interested fascinated to learn when i was doing research for the book have signed an agreement to honor the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Now, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is a very important document. It It was passed by the United Nations in 1948. Eleanor Roosevelt, the widow of Franklin Roosevelt, was the key force behind getting it done. It was adopted with the abstention of the Soviet Union and the Arab states that were in the U.N. at the time. And the Declaration of Human Rights, Universal Declaration, which I summarize in the book and is really worth looking at, includes not only the, the sort of what we call in America human rights, political rights, freedom of conscience, uh, the importance of family, a whole series of personal rights, but it has economic rights. People are entitled to a living wage. People are entitled to free elementary education. People are entitled to retirement. It takes on the question of poverty straight on. So it's very interesting to me that 100 major corporations have agreed to honor that. Uh, I just did a show with Walmart, of all things, and my book criticizes Walmart very severely for the low wages they pay, Mm -hmm. which requires a subsidy of the American taxpayer as of five years ago of about $1,000 per person through Medicaid because Walmart doesn't pay enough to its its, uh, employees so that the children of the employees commonly end up on Medicaid. So I'm not a fan of Walmart. But I just did a show on my radio program about Walmart's working with the Environmental Defense Fund. To launch a major new initiative on food sustainability, encouraging local production of local food, which is a movement that's strong in Montana, for example, farmers directly selling to merchants that sell to people or farmers' markets. Walmart's getting behind this because their CEO five years ago decided we're not doing a good job for our customers and we're contributing to destruction of the planet through climate change, so we're going to shorten the food chain so i would say there's a lot that can be done on a voluntary basis but but that's not enough you have to change the rules of the game so those corporate guys are not sitting there simply saying what can we do in the next quarter so i make a simple proposal in the book about that and again that proposal will not work unless people at the grassroots level begin to organize around any issues they want and over time get up to the question of corporate power because it's fundamental to our future
0: And it seems to me, Brian Kahn, that uh, there's some, dare I say, hope, uh, hesitate to use that word, but that there could be agreement among right-wing Americans and more progressive liberal Americans on these issues, that capitalism, corporate capitalism, really should adapt to the authority of the democratic authority, and I know Franklin Roosevelt in 1936, he wasn't able to complete this. But at a rally at Madison Square Garden, he said something like, and I can't quote him exactly, in my first term, uh, the the corporations, he used a different word, b- different word that was popular at the time. In in my first term, the corporations met their match. In my second term, they're going to meet their master. Of course, it didn't happen. The corporations fought back and in 1937, destroyed a lot of the programs that he had but the idea that the market could be made manipulated by government by the people to meet the real needs uh could be something that a lot of people could agree on i don't know i i wonder the the idea of having government do anything with regard to to capitalism uh and corporate uh uh, strength I don't know, they, it seems to me that might be a difficult thing to get to, but it comes back to, and what your book is about, is the values of our founders. And it seems to me, uh, I'm sure you can go into some detail on this, what the, the founders might say about having, you know, a corporation serve our democracy
2: and the needs. Well, it's a fundamental issue. Absolutely correct. Uh, the, the and the idea, that what I define a reactionary right as, in part, is that the right of property or the right to do business transcends all other human rights or social responsibilities, okay? That's what I, now, that's not a conservative point of view, in my view. That's a reactionary point of view.
0: Yeah, it's certainly not And
2: I think there's a potential coalition from progressives to traditional conservatives on the issues you're talking about, that the dynamism of a capitalist economy needs to be harnessed and guided by social community values, it doesn't exist as an end to the, in itself, because that end is simply short-term return on investment. And there's n- and it's not just yeah. the founders. There's no major religion that countenances that sort of focus, which boils down to greed. Ayn Rand believed in it, the libertarian philosopher that has such an influence over the hard right these days, and whose, yeah. wh- whose portrait hangs in the in the office of Freedom Works. In uh, in uh, Washington D.C., let me give you a couple of quotes that reinforce what you're saying. This is Theodore Roosevelt, 1910, just out of office as Republican president of the United States. Yes. Every man holds his property subject to the general right of the community to regulate its use to whatever degree the public welfare may require it. Hmm. Here's another one. Wow. We grudge no man a fortune in civil life it is, if it is honorably obtained and well used. It is not even enough that it should be gained without doing damage to the community. We should permit it to be gained only so long as the gaining represents the benefit to the community. Here's Franklin Roosevelt, Democratic wow. President of the United States, elected to four terms. No one else in, the United, in our history has ever been elected to more than two. The liberty of a democracy is not safe if the people tolerate the growth of private power to a point where it becomes stronger than the democratic state itself. Now, you contrast that with a Tea Party statement that I meant government has no right to interfere with private business. Never the founder's view. In the days of the founders... Property was real property, the tri- you know there was not a real corporate presence, dominating the economy. So they were very interested in the question, as you pointed out, they're property owners. But let me read you something from John Adams, who wasn't Tom Paine. Tom Paine was certainly on the left of the oh, American yeah. Revolution, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Here's a statement of Adams. I believe that the balance of power in a society accompanies the balance of property in land. You have to remember the times he was living in. That was the source of wealth. Right. The only possible way, then, of preserving the balance of power on the side of equal liberty and public virtue is to make the acquisition of land easy to every member of society, to make the division of land into small quantities so that the multitude may be possessed of land. Now, that's the, the principle would apply exactly today. Sure. the idea that if you're going to have equality in government lincoln's point about all the government equal voice you have to have these these sources centers of concentrated private power accountable to the democratic power of the people it's one or the other and i believe it can be done and i believe frankly it's going to have to be done if it's not done you will continue to see the erosion of the american standard of living and i don't mean primarily uh... material possessions although we enjoy a very comfortable life i mean our commitment to education in this country is foundering. i mean our commitment to older people i mean our commitment to universal health care we won't be able to do it because we've allowed the logic of the corporate structure unrestrained to make profit wherever it can make it and in this world there are a lot of places they can make it more rapidly than in the United States of America, and if your fiduciary obligation is to return shareholder value, as Ted Turner said, yeah. watching your stock market price in the next quarter, you will look for jobs anywhere you can find them, and in China, just to pick one nation, they're more unemployed and underemployed than the entire American wow. workforce, and a good wage is sixty cents an hour. Wow! So we're going to have to take this issue on in a serious discussion where we are going down the tubes, and we've seen this for thirty years now. And what's amazing is the progressive and liberal left, as you pointed out, have not said, wait a minute, folks. We are going to talk again as we used to talk about fundamental issues of human and economic justice. We've got to focus on that and remind our the American people of where we came from and what we are proud of and what we need to do next.
0: It is a fascinating book, uh, Real Common Sense, author Brian Kahn. And you mentioned a word that the <clears throat> founders used a lot that you never hear people uh progressives and liberals talk about and that word is virtue founders the founders talked about virtue as being essential to a republic and today it seems that greed and great wealth are recognized as a virtue in amongst in among themselves and now you hear talk about values, uh, has been largely the right talks about that. Correct. And, and the, the lack of values, the lack of virtue, has a great effect on we the people. And I think about, I mean, I'm a parent, I have kids. TV, it's been completely unregulated. The market forces, without any sense of virtue or values, goes, of course, to the lowest common denominator. And you talk about this in your book, the effect of kids' TV without value and virtue. Can people in the progressive side of America talk about virtue and somehow you know, put that in our language again and, and possibly make a difference and, and reverse this uh, uh, coarsening of the culture, as the founders might have said?
2: Well, there's, yeah, I mean, there's great stuff, again, by John Adams in the book on quotes on the purpose of government to be a fundamental purpose. It's written in the Massachusetts Constitution, which, by the way, he wrote personally in 1779 during the height of the war. And there's a beautiful passage about the purpose of legislators and magistrates, among other key points, is is to inculcate public virtue and benign sentiments among the people. But it's a very eloquent statement. It's worth reading. You give a great example we care every society is supposed to protect our children we have allowed it's private enterprise be driven by short-term return on investment to do the following the average child by the age of 12 has seen 8000 murders on television hmm. by the age of 18 has seen 200000 acts of violence and is bombarded every day with ads from cereal and uh, junk food manufacturers that it encourages them to destroy their health because, of course, they're not able to make an intelligent judgment. It's a $17 billion industry that, that advertising aimed at children. How is it possible that we allow the public's airwaves, which are used by cable, broadcast, and the internet, to do this? It's 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 happened because we have forgotten the purposes of that were that were. Central to the legislation in 1934, the Federal Communications Mm -hmm. Act, which allowed radio at that time Mm -hmm. to use the public's airwaves provided it served the public interest. That phrase, the public interest, is in the legislation more than 100 times. Hmm. During the last 30 years of this laissez faire stuff, the power of the broadcasting corporations and advertising companies has led to the FCC appointments, that's the Federal Communications Commission, which did away with all the regulations that, that basically were passed at the time of the legislation. Right. And so now we ha- allow the most powerful form of communication to attack the health, the physical health of our children at a time when one third of our children are overweight, a majority of those are going to face long term health problems, and we're all going to pick up the tab. So, from a moral standpoint and a fiscal standpoint, it's an outrage. That issue is one that I speak about when I talk around the country, and it's one issue where you, in terms of your idea of mobilizing a coalition from right to left about taking back television and making it a responsible contributor to our community, mm-hmm. it's something that you can unite people around. People get it when you talk about that, and it's something that is feasible.
0: I believe it is, and again, Burt Cohen here. We're talking with Brian Kahn about uh, his new book, Real Common Sense, and one of the suggestions you have in the book, Real Common Sense, uh Uh, in terms of prioritizing the public good, uh, is a suggestion that there be, and I had never heard this before, a national TV advertisement tax to create an American values fund. Talk about that.
2: Yeah, you know, in in the West, we have a lot of public lands. If you want to take minerals off the public land, if you want to put a mine in, you pay... The Treasury a royalty fee. So all I've proposed is let's create a royalty fee for the 160 billion dollar industry that is national television advertising, national TV advertising. That would j- generate eight billion a year, 17 times the current budget for corporation for public broadcasting. If they survive Congress, distribute that money to states and local governments, and have national competitions for high quality educational programming for kids, for seniors, for teenagers national competition for the best public service ads to revitalize citizenship, quality family time, uh, edu- you know, e- e- emphasize the importance of education over entertainment, including turning off your television. We could have a great, great counterweight in American broadcasting to what we have now, which is pure commercialism. The other thing we could do is we lost 32,000 jobs in this country of full-time reporters over the last five years because of downsizing. Let's use some of the American Values Fund to support nonprofits locally and state-based reporting news so we can revitalize information to the citizenry. Because the founders obviously believed an informed citizenry was the absolutely fundamental democracy, and we're losing that under the pressure of corporate profits in news.
0: And we've seen more corporations recognize that, hey, being a citizen actually can be a good thing and stabilize themselves. And yeah, back in New Hampshire, where the show is coming from, many years ago, there was a one-term governor, not that many years ago, who changed the Office of Citizens Affairs to the Office of Consumer Affairs. And they Absolutely. That
2: summarizes it right there. I,
0: it it seems to me, Brian Kahn, that, that there's more of a sense that something called citizenship is what the founders had in mind and that we can be citizens once again. And in answering that question, perhaps you can uh, just mention how people can uh, find out more. The book is called uh, Real Common Sense, Brian Kahn, published by uh, Seven Stories, I believe.
2: Seven Stories in New York. You can get it at your local bookstore. You can order it from uh, Amazon. But if you ask me, I'd prefer you buy it from your local independent bookstore. That's uh, part of the human community that we're a part of.
0: All right. Well, thank you. So much. I, I, I sense that there is some hope that uh, right and left can agree on being citizens again and we can reclaim the values of our founders. Brian Kahn, the book is called Real Common Sense. Thank you so much for being with us on The Burt Cohen Show.
2: Thank you so much, Burt.
0: All right. It's been really interesting. And uh, hopefully people can uh, get a sense of uh, uh, thinking and citizenship and freedom. Uh, email me, Bert, at com. <laughs>
1: Just.